This episode is sponsored by our brand new book, The Snake and Mine Nicotine. I've co-written this book with author of Alcohol Explained, William Porter, and I combined our trusted approaches for controlling alcohol and bringing these same science-backed, grace-led methods for all those who are ready to change their relationship with nicotine, vaping, smoking, chewing, whatever it is. We uncovered the subconscious beliefs about smoking and vaping that keep us stuck in the same cycle. We ask thought-provoking questions and share exercises that spark clarity in your journey to kick the habit without willpower, without pain, without feeling like you're missing out in an easier way that maybe you ever thought it was possible. So if you're ready to start healing your mind and body from the effects of smoking, you can pre-order your copy today at thisnakedmindnicotine.com. Hello, everybody. It's Scott Pinyard, head coach at This Naked Mind, and I am back with another edition of Coaching Questions and another fantastic coach. Today, I am joined by Mead Shirley. How are you, Mead? Hey, Scott. What's up? Glad to be here. Good, good. So, um, you know, we always ask people, you know, what do you specialize in that we can kind of talk about so people get a flavor of it. Um, And Mead said she's a reformed people pleaser and gray area drinker. She helps people escape the shackles of shame and helps them find the ability to create the life they want. Um, I want to talk about multiple parts of this, but I really want to start with that thing right at the beginning, which is a people pleaser. Um, I see this in so many people. This is something that I've struggled with. Um, it's, It's something that I see in a lot of our programs. So why don't you first tell me what a people pleaser is and then tell me a little bit of your journey with it. Yeah. So I, yeah, I agree. I see it everywhere too. Um, now that I do this work. Um, so for me, it looked like people pleasing. I became a people pleaser at a young age because I am an empath. I have heavy feelings. I'm sensitive. Um, and in my family that wouldn't, that my family was tense and heavy as it was. So that wasn't going to cut it. So I learned very early on to be light and funny and easygoing and it became kind of you know a survival <clears throat> excuse me a survival personality if you will mm. um and i think what happens so over time you build this survival personality and you get positive response from people you know from it and it feeds that you know i i'm not being rejected because look i'm um yeah. you know i'm whoever you want me to be uh, essentially yes. so very chameleon-esque but very unconsciously that is the thing that um, you know, I didn't even realize for so long that that's what I was doing. And years ago, I would have told you people pleasing was a strength of mine. Um, and made me great in sales. <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good thing. It made me great in, you know, sales, um, very adaptable, but very flexible, but yeah. it keeps you from really, you know, being your authentic self, um, really showing yeah. up as you are. Um, I always, when I talk about people pleasers, I like that when I'm like in front of a crowd, I will say this just because it shocks people, but um, I think it rings true. Uh, people pleasers, whoops, people pleasers are liars. I know. I was going to say, I know where you're going with that because I when I heard you say this for the first time, I, my reaction, I was like, oh no, like yeah, that, that, that was harsh. And then I was like, yes, that is correct. Well, it's funny because I find, so, you know, you talk about taking on other people's feelings, which is a super, it's, it's something that obviously is available to all humans. Some of us tend to be more sensitive to it than others. And some of us tend to have a bigger level of responsibility for it. Right. So like, I used to have this feeling that like I came into a room and if someone was upset, like 
that was unacceptable and I had to do what I had to do to help them. And so it, it, it's, it's a weird thing to be affected with because it feels like maybe it comes from a good place. Like, and like you said, I used to, used to call it a strength and it's like, oh yeah, I make people happy and I do this. The reason that I call people pleasers liars is that we do that in place of expressing how we're actually feeling. Yes. And I remember having a conversation with someone, this was years ago, um, about people pleasing and using that exact scenario. And same thing, like feeling like, no, I think it's a good thing. Like I have a lot of energy, I can be funny. And so like if someone's having a bad day, I can help them. And then the person asked me, Scott, what if you're having a bad day? Oh yeah, I love that, yeah. And I was like, well, I've never thought of it that way, you know? Um, <laughs> and so it's, it is something that I think for a lot of us, and I, I can clearly tie that to my drinking journey, that that was a big motivator for me to drink were those unresolved, unexpressed feelings that I was having because in my head, I had this sense of over-responsibility for other people, right? For other people's emotions. How does that compare to what you experienced, Bebe? Oh my gosh, 100, 100%. And yeah, for me, it was this, if you're okay, I'm okay. So, I, you know, if I could walk, I could walk into a room wherever I was and, you know, and read the room, figure out what people needed, if, if your needs are met, then hey, I'm good. And I had a similar question from a friend um, a few years ago when I started my intense personal growth journey. This is when uh, my wine habit was becoming, you know, more, more and more regular. And um, and I and she she's like, well, but what do you, what do you need? Like you're so good at taking care and knowing what everybody else needs, but what do you need? And yeah. I literally had this. What, what do you? I don't, I mean, like, I don't have any, like, I don't know. Like it was, it was so bizarre. I'm like, I don't know. Am I allowed to have needs? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. And it's funny too, because I think going another level deeper on this, like you then, at least for me, what I started to experience was that if I then, because I was taking on that responsibility, if I then couldn't help that person shift. Yes. I almost felt bad. Oh. And sometimes I got mad at them, you know, like, come on, dude, sure. like lighten up. Right. Yeah. And like these, these emotions are super confusing. Mm -hmm. um, we just don't realize that, but you talk about needs. It's almost like people pleasing becomes a need. And if they are not pleased, you're not okay. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not separating the behavior from, you know, making it mean something about me. And that was something that um, yeah, for, for sure. It was, I was very dependent on other people's reactions to me. You mm -hmm. wouldn't have no, I mean this, you know, knowing me, you would just think I was, you know, easy to be around. I'm fun. I'm likable. I mean, it's not, it, it's so crazy how this kind of thing can play so unconsciously and so in the background. Um, and it's exhausting, you know, like I, I, I have this idea looking back of like how I was always putting on the tap shoes, not literally like not literally, but walking into a room and, you know, jumping on stage and performing Absolutely. Um, because I needed, I, I needed to win people over. I thought everybody was win overable. Yes. Everybody, everybody Absolutely. was an opportunity. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny. And this is, I find we can do this whole episode on people pleasing, but yeah. like, I find that like, that's actually true. And a lot of things when it comes to people pleasing, when you look at them, at first, you're like, that's not a bad thing. Like what's wrong with wanting people to be happy, right? And you're saying everyone's an opportunity to win over. Yeah, totally. Like that seems true on its face. Um, the and fun. 
What, what's that? And fun, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it is. And I think for people like us, a lot of times we, we do get an emotional boost out of it. Like I can say for sure, you know, when I go on stage or I do a live and someone says, thank you, or that, that really helped, like that feels really good. Um, the problem I think comes in when it goes from a, oh, this feels really good to unless someone makes a shift, unless I see that person smile. Um, and it becomes this binary thing where it's either I fulfilled my function of making this person happy or I didn't. Yeah. Um, and I think that at that at that point is also when it kind of shifts, like our motives shift. Because now I can look at it and I can see like one of the biggest benefits, uh, like one of the things I love the most is when I get on a call with the coaches or one of our path calls, all of us having a good time is really amazing. And I really like that. Um, but back then I thought it was my job. Yeah. Right? It was my job. It was my job yeah. to do that. And it's, it's, it's very, it's very tricky in that way. Kind of insidious, I think. Yeah. And all the work that I did on it too, what really helped me, um, was understanding that it's, it's, it's it comes from a place of fear, which it always does. Right. It always mm -hmm. comes back to fear. Um, you know, that kind of personality develops out of a fear of being rejected. Yes. And so it keeps us hiding who we really are because who we really are, we've deemed not good enough, which is where the shame comes in. So we, and what does shame want us to do? It wants us to hide it. So then, you know, we adapt in that way and, and live in this very constrained fear space, um, which creates this, I mean, I was caught in this hustle of, uh, you know, doing more, serving more, being more, pleasing more, all of achieving more so that I could be more like I had to prove, you know, but then at the same time I was using wine to quiet the chaos of that hustle and the shame of not feeling like I'm good enough and truly, yeah. you know, learning to just be, being me. It's, it's not an, it's not the doing, it's not, you know, conditional on doing things for other people. It's just being me. Uh, but that, you know, that took a lot of time. And then once you are comfortable being you, you don't need the wine that helps you yeah. deal with the fallout of trying to be what others want you to be. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I feel like this whole idea of needs and like what we need as humans, um, you know, that's, yeah. Not to go too deep with this, but like negative emotions point toward very often, um, you know, some sort of unmet need or some sort of thought about how the world should be. And it's not that way. And so I feel bad, um, conscious or subconscious thought. And what happens to us over time with drinking, right, is like that first time we have a drink because we're really stressed, like, oh, man, I need a drink, right? We have, we say this stuff and then, oh, I feel better immediately. I'm doing air quotes, but like, you know, I, I, ah, well, the stress does feel better, but over time, what happens is alcohol becomes a solution to all of our problems. And then we don't really, if that's the case, if you have one solution to all of your problems, you don't really need to define the problem that well, right? All you need to do at that point is just be like, there's a problem. I know what to do. And <laughs> What I find as a really interesting part of the journey for people pleasers um, is that they already have this built in sort of neglect of their own needs and their own emotions, right? Because we've been doing it. We've been, uh, we've been ignoring those for the sake of others for so long. So this journey 
of going alcohol free and removing that one tool reveals, hey, there's more work to do. And what's amazing about that is seeing people come into their own, you know, seeing people say, oh, you know what? I don't really like serving on that church community or the PTA and like quitting and feeling good about it. Say no to things. Did you experience any of that? I'd love to hear a little bit about that. I did, yeah. So yeah, there's so many things that you just said there that I'm like, yep, yep, yep. Um, completely my story too. Um, you know, I thought wine made me a better mom. So like my, you know, my thinking is I need to be a better mom. I need to be a better wife. I need to be a, a better friend, a better, I thought wine made me better at all those things, but guess what? Those things were directed at like other people too. So there's that one part, right? And then there's that other part of, well, but you know, is it really making me a better mom, a better wife? Because it takes the edge off. It takes my edge off, you know? So I thought it relaxes me. It makes me more enjoyable to be around. This is, this is kind of the story that, you know, has always been in my head. If I'm easy, I'm light, I'm funny, I'm, you know, the, the life of the party, then, then, you know, the deeper message goes to that I'm likable, I'm lovable, you know, I'm acceptable. Um, and so it all, yeah, it all feeds into that. And that was very much part of my alcohol free, you know, becoming alcohol free and looking back going, oh my gosh, yeah, no, it didn't, it didn't help with any of those things It actually made those things worse. And that's yes. what this naked mind, I mean, the methodology of this naked mind, that's what makes it, you know, come to light and to actually see the truth of that. Wait a minute. No, it, you know, I wouldn't need to take an edge off. I wouldn't have an edge if I wasn't drinking wine. Wine is actually causing the edge. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I actually have a, a, one of the questions I have for this week points right to that. So I'd be curious to hear your answer to this, but let me read the question. Um, it is this, I have a friend group that seems to be almost defined by drinking. Every activity we do involves booze. It's usually some form of let's go here because they have a playground for the kids and we can sit outside and drink fill in the blank. Yes. I love my friends. We really have a good time, but the problem comes in when I go home and keep drinking all night. I feel like I start and then can't stop. So I know that it change, but I don't want to abandon my friends. And I'm afraid I'll make them feel uncomfortable if I don't drink. Oh. Help. Oh my gosh. I could have written that question, you know, five years ago, a hundred percent could have written that question. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm having flashbacks to playdates when they were little, when the kids were super little and we were doing, you know, drinking wine spritzers, sometimes without <laughs> the spritzer, like just, yeah. you know, like everything revolved around. And, and, you know, for us, we have a really tight social, uh, social group in our neighborhood and it's the same thing. It's, Hey, let's, you know, get together, let the kids run around and everything rev mom's nights out, this and that. Um, I know that being the people pleaser, you know, in retrospect, that needing to belong, which by the way, is a basic human desire. Like yes. everybody has basic human desires to feel safe, to feel loved, to belong. And so, you know, for me, it was part of that, having a lot of friends and having a good social network and social connections, that was very, very important to me. And so when I started realizing that wine was absolutely getting in the way of everything that I valued, everything that I really wanted, I really wanted deep, meaningful connection. It was getting in the way of that. Um, and my fear about, you know, entering a life of alcohol free, you know, alcohol free, my fear was that I would lose that. The biggest fear Absolutely. was losing that social connection. 
and what I've learned on this side, the, the irony of it is that, um, you know, I actually, the, the people pleasing, the fitting in, you know, that you do, it requires you to change, to be something, to be part of that social group. Mm-hmm. Um, where true belonging comes from just being who you are. You don't have to change a thing. But, you know, so the long answer of this is um, I still have the same friends. The, the one thing that I was afraid of never came to fruition, that I would lose this social connection because of the alcohol when really it has deepened all my connections with my friends because it's not in the way. It's so true. And it seems really scary. And the particular word here was, or the phrase here was making your friends uncomfortable. And that's, that's why I pulled this question because I'm like, I see little people pleasing here. Um, It's also, by the way, a very convenient excuse to keep drinking. Well, I can't quit drinking because I have, you know, this play date next week and we're going to, you know, and, but the reality of the situation um, and this is a tough lesson, I think, for people pleasers to really like really take on um, and live from. Um, other people's emotions are their responsibility, right? Yeah. It's not ours. And where I see a lot of times this question comes from a play a people pleasing place. And we get versions of this sort of question all the time where it's like, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable and then they won't hang out with me. And so there's kind of like two sides to it, right? There's like that initial side that it's somehow your fault how someone else is feeling. And then the second one is I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to be alone. And I 100% agree with you on the I don't want to be alone thing that like those connections come when you remove alcohol. Like my friend, I, I can honestly say I am better friends with my friends than I was when I was drinking. They're still drinking, right? But we've changed how we connect. Um, but understanding that like, look, there's a very good chance. And I, there's a very good chance that if you drink too much, so do your friends, right? We hang out with people that are like us. Um, and I think we all know this, you know, in the back of our minds. Um, but when one person makes that change, it can kind of have the impact of holding up a mirror and getting other people to be like, oh man, well, if Mead's drinking too much, and I mean, like, I hang out with her every Saturday, what's going, you know, what does this mean? Um, You know, and what I have to say to that part of it is that's part of the process. And our job in that situation is not to preach, like, you don't have to be that annoying, uh, sober friend that's like, you know, that's going to give you cancer, right? Like, you don't have to do that. That does um, not work, by the way. <laughs> totally doesn't. Side note on that, I had someone in one of our classes one time say, I was so blown away that alcohol causes cancer. I didn't know this. And so I started telling everyone I know. And I said to her, I'm like, so how'd that work out? And she's like, no one's hanging out with me anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you don't have to do that, right? And our what's really nice about having this connection and the fact that you know these friends um, is that you can just say, you know, a version of it wasn't serving me or, yeah. you know, whatever that is, um, and then move on. And because you have that established connection, you can do that, if that makes I, sense. Yeah, and I find if I don't make it a big deal, then it's not a, it's not a big deal. But it does take that, okay, yeah, I, you know, I'm not here to... That's not my job. I'm retired from people pleasing. So it's not my job to make sure everybody else is comfortable. I am here and, you know, I've got my Pellegrino or my alcohol free wine or whatever it is. And if it makes someone else uncomfortable, that's on them. Cause I don't have, yeah, I don't have the space anymore to, to do it all. But 
I yeah. want to ask you directly, like, how did you go through that transformation? Right? Like we can, we can talk about the concept that it's their responsibility, yeah. but I'm really curious because we get a lot of questions about this. So how did you go from, oh man, I'm so worried that I need to make everyone feel good to be like, you know what, I'm going to be me and their reaction is their own. It's such a good, that is such a good question. Um, and I wish I had a really like step one, step two, <laughs> step three, of course, it's not of, that, of that course. simple. Right. But, um, but for me, I think the, the thing, cause I was, you know, like, and it's so funny because two of my kids are this way too. Like uh, their currency is social isolation. So if they ever, you know, get in trouble for anything, we can just send them to their rooms and they're like, oh, this is terrible. Yeah. That's this, that's always, and I'm like, I wonder where they get that from. <laughs> I have always been the person that I like to be around. I do not like to be alone. I'm with and you. So, and so, you know, when my girlfriend that, you know, that one time was like, what, what, but what does need need? Cause you know, I was in a place where I mean, I knew something was up. I had this low grade irritability going on. Uh, you know, I knew that I was drinking when I didn't want to be drinking and I was drinking when I wanted to be drink. I was drinking more and less at this, you know, at the same time, it was such a, there was such an internal conflict. And, um, and so for me, it was, she was like, have you ever tried the meditation? I'm like, eh, that's woo woo. That's no, not for me. She's like, no, just like being still being by yourself. And for me, it was a really hard sell, but it's, for me, it looked like trying like literally out of desperation, just, you know, getting mm -hmm. in my car and driving to work for the first five minutes, not, not getting on the phone to anybody, not turning on a podcast, not turning on music, driving in silence, being still, being present, being quiet, being alone. That five minutes turned into this practice of being able and wanting to start my day every day alone, silent, still tapping into me. And I have a lot of friends who ask this and I help them with this and they're like, yeah, but when you, when you sit in that stillness, you have to be prepared for what you're going to, what you're going to find. That's, that's scary. And I yes. said, and I said, yes. And it was scary and it can be, but all the answers to all the things, all of them are inside of us. And I had no, I had no idea that it was all within me. And that, and so it started with a just simple being, being present. I had this like idea of my, you know, 30 plus years of my life. I was running through life, just dragging my body behind me, you know, yes. just always hustling, doing, moving to the next thing, just surviving, dragging my body behind me. Um, and then really, really stopping being still being in silence, stillness, solitude, started the meditation practice, contemplative prayer. Um, that was huge for me and going, okay, there's some, there's some inner wisdom here and I'm going to rest in that. So now it's, it's, so I know that's still kind of a, a giant, no, it's a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> but it truly started with, okay, like, let me start with, with me and just be curious, curiosity, you know, being open to what is there not judging it's this you know it's the same thing we do with with looking at our alcohol relationship it's getting curious it's yeah. putting down the weapons and the the criticism the judgment and just being open to what is there it's huge and i think you know another one thing for me that was really big and this sounds super silly um but i did it because i needed it um is i set alarms on my phone that literally like that went off periodically throughout the day. And they asked me, how do you feel? 
what do you need? So my, my alarm would go off on my phone and I'd look at it and would say, what do you need? And it was really a reminder because I like, we just become so disconnected, right? Yeah. People pleasers. And the, but then if you add alcohol on top of that, we become so disconnected that we end up in this space where like, I don't know, like when your friend asks you that question, it's like, how is that? A, what are you talking about? Right. Yeah. You're just so, you it's know. a foreign language. I don't even know yeah. what you're saying. What are those words that are coming out of your mouth? I don't know. Yeah. Absolutely. And those things that you find in that quiet time in the morning, or if you use the alarm thing, however you do it, however you get in contact with that. I did, I did the same thing with learning to breathe. Like I had to yeah. learn how to breathe and I would set an alarm on my phone to remind myself to breathe because I was holding my breath for 30 some years, holding my breath, just, you know, so, um, you know, just waiting for being, trying to be prepared for whatever might, you know, come my way. But really yeah. it's, it's the breathing and the being and the stillness, that's where, I mean, that's where, yeah, that's where all the truth is. And it's such a huge step forward when we start to recognize that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it's in conflict, right? Sometimes, you want to do something and your husband wants to do something else or you like, it's, you know, and so we find these things. Yeah. And what I really liked about what you said is like the answers are inside like we and I believe this very strongly that we have these answers, right? We have the ability to navigate whatever is put in front of us. We might not have confidence that we do. That's a separate issue, but totally, yeah. that we have it um, and just getting in touch. Like I remember I was coaching someone one time and she was telling me we were doing this needs work and she was telling me like oh man like I think I need to quit my job I think I need to do this and she's like what do you think and I'm like good and she goes what and I'm like well you know clearly like there was a situation going on that wasn't working for you and you were ignoring it now you know it right now you know it and that makes a huge massive difference in how you're going to be able to operate and where you're going to be able to yeah, yeah, bringing that conscious awareness to something. That's, that's the other thing. I feel like we, as moms, as women, as, as humans, we just get caught in the unconscious living, the sleepwalking, autopilot, go, 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 go. Yeah. And so bringing consciousness to, yeah, you know, how am I feeling? What do I need? You know, and giving ourselves that. It, it, I mean, you know, Annie talks about this too. It's we were humans and we were never taught how to be humans. Like, it, yes, we weren't. No one was it's given totally like true. a guidebook on how to be a human. And so learning how to do that yeah. is, is something you just have to stay open and curious to. And, and, you know, yeah. It's almost like someone should write a book about it. Hmm. Almost. I know. <laughs> I, I hope there's one coming. The, um, the idea and, and by the way, I want to point out too, that happens to guys as well. I think we might focus yeah. on different things, but there's like, you know, achievement and family and that sort of stuff that uh, the number of people, so I'm 40 right now. And the number of my friends that I have talked to who reach like 35, 40, and it's kind of like, um, uh, what is that talking head song? Well, how did I get here? Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't yeah. remember the name of the song. Anyway, mm -hmm. but like they kind of look around and they're like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Yes. Like what happened, you yeah. know? Um, and that happens when we get disconnected and yeah. Anyway, so this is very good. I would, I'm going to go on. Let's do one more question. Yeah. Okay. Have time for that. Um, I knew I was going to spend the whole time talking about, it. I love 
people pleasing and working on that because I think it's, there's so much there. Um, but let me read you another question. Uh, and it goes like this. I've spent so much time helping others, whether it's my kids or the people at work, that I almost don't really know who I am with one big exception. I've become the wine person. I know all about it and I've become that person that people come to and ask about it. Now that wine has become a problem for me, I'm not sure who I'll be if I quit and this scares me. How can I approach this in a way that feels better for me? Yeah. Oh man. I can just, uh, I can relate so much to that. And that's, that's so, um, that can be so overwhelming to have that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Who am I separate from? I mean, for me, it was, who am I separate from being party need? Like, mm -hmm. is there, is there anything there? Um, and you know, I think the, the, again, kind of going back to the, just finding that stillness and, and starting to tap into, you know, being a, just starting by being alone with yourself, I think is a good way to kind of, um, you know, start the, start the process. Um, but also understanding that you, you by examining your identities and the labels that we put on ourselves, like those, those come from stories about, you know, our brains make interpretations of things. We have facts and we have truth. And then our brains go and they interpret and they analyze and they assess and they, you know, make these stories. And those stories, although they feel completely true, like that's all there is, like I'm only the wine girl, that's, that's all there is to me. Um, it's, it's not, you know, and so being able to, again, use the curiosity and the yes. openness and the no judgment and kind of going, okay, you know, what is there? I, you know, what are some of my other, um, identities and then being able to say, are these true? I, I mean, I run that through how many times a day do I say, what is the story I'm telling myself? Is it true? And then I usually follow with how does it make me feel and how does it make me behave? And that is the formula for being able to create intentionally any, you know, any outcome for your life, truly creating, yeah. you can intentionally create that by using that. I love that. Um, is this true? Uh, it is something I feel like we should all be asking all true? the time. Yeah, anytime, especially especially when big emotions come up, right? When something like anger or sadness or that, like very often there's a meaning there that's just out of sync, you know, a story that's out of sync with reality. Um, and a when lot I read, of, sorry, go ahead. no, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, and a lot of times it's the I have found, like for the people pleasers, it's the um, it's the sadness, the anger, the whatever, but it's it's the resistance to that emotion that's compounding that need mm -hmm. to escape that need to take the edge off because not only are we having the emotion but that is deemed you know negative and by the way we've made it negative our brains have just made it negative feelings are, are neutral until we make them bad um but then it's that resistance that comes in going no no this is bad i don't want to feel this way and yes. we create this you know it's just kind of this big old stew of stress that keeps us from being able to kind of see clearly, I mean, really, truly, it activates our stress hormones. Re re mm -hmm. You know, releases adrenaline and cortisol. The uh, the amygdala kicks in there and and physiologically causes a stress reaction in that resistance. 
Yes, it's so true. And like one thing when someone asked me, so when I first read this question, I thought of uh, an exercise that is both scary and super beneficial for someone in this position. Um, and it is to actually ask people around you, like people that are close to you, who am I to you? Yes. And it's, you know, obviously you don't want to like ask your boss or like someone you're not necessarily close with, but like, you know, this lady says her kids and her job. So I'm wondering if maybe if her kids are grown, like asking your kids this question, but like we spend so much time in our own heads, living our own lives because mm -hmm. well, that's all we can do, but we completely lack the perspective that other people have. And so asking them can feel scary, right? It can be like, oh, I don't know about this. It makes me nervous and it makes me maybe uncomfortable. But it is so enlightening to do that because when you do that, you get to see yourself reflected through someone else. Yeah. That starts to tell you a story about who you are to other people because there's going to be this idea of who we define ourselves are and that's going to be heavily focused on what we focus on. So like if I quit my coaching job tomorrow and I went and I did nothing but play guitar badly, but it wouldn't matter because over, over a period of a couple of months, I'm going to really be like, oh, I'm a guitar player, right? What I'm, the point I'm making is that this is malleable. What isn't as malleable is what other people see around us. And so asking that question can be a game changer. So it's funny you say that because we just did that in our, um, uh, Onawa and I have a group program and we just did that as part of who am I? It's yeah. asking your loved ones you know, how they see you and letting them be that mirror image for you, letting them reflect back, you know, because we see ourselves totally differently. And, you know, another thing that I always have um, my clients do as part of people pleasing or not is a values exercise. Um, you know, get in touch with what your values are because a lot of the conflict we feel that creates that stress and that need to, you know, take the edge off with alcohol, a lot of that comes from, you know, our values not being aligned with our actions. And so a really good way to get in, tap into who are you? Well, what do you value? Yeah. Um, where do you spend your time and your money? And for me, that was really scary because I'm like, oh, well, I'm spending it drinking. And if, if I'm not drinking, it's the thinking about drinking. Like yep. I'm still recovering. Know, yeah, uh, recovering from drink, all of that, or beating myself up, or whatever. Um, so a values exercise can be really, really helpful for that too, because that shows you where that you know um, misalignment is. The one thing that I love about questions like this is that it, it well, it's funny because as people come to the, me with or us with these questions, and it's like they're upset about it. To me, that is massively exciting right? The fact that someone has recognized, yes. wait a minute, I feel like I'm defined as this, but I don't feel that way. Like that means they're literally on the threshold of change. Like they're about to do something. asking the questions. That's exactly. huge. Yes. 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 Awesome. All right. Uh, we got to wrap it up, but not without a curveball question. Right, so need, um, I have a question for you. Right you quit your job as a coach and become a singer uh what <laughs> what would the name of your debut album be oh my gosh that's really funny though because 
uh, my kids would be dying right now because I am the where I can, I am so tone deaf. It's hilarious. Um, my daughter can sing beautifully, and I'm like, let me come join you. She's like, please, mom, no. Um, I love to sing, but I can't carry a tune. Um, well, so the first thought that comes to my head is sober as a mother, but I don't, but I don't use. But I don't use sober as a word. So alcohol-free yeah. as a mother, but that just doesn't have the same ring. But that, I mean, that's that's just straight without giving it any thought. That's what comes to mind. I love it. That's so maybe, awesome. we have to, maybe we have to play with it a little bit. Hey, you know, there's people at your recording studio. There's marketing people that can help you with that. But they I can, like it. They I can like it. Yeah. Oh, good one. So, Mead, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is awesome. Let's do it again. And if people want to find more information on you or how to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Sure. Yeah. So my website is meadhollandshirley.com. It's uh, a nice short little URL for you, but um, yeah, meadhollandshirley.com, M-E-A-D-E hollandshirley.com. Awesome. And if you guys liked what you hear today, I highly recommend checking out uh, Mead's website, set up a discovery call. Um, yeah, she's great to work I'd with. I'd love so. to talk to you. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. This is so fun. Thank you. And thank you to those of you listening. I will be back again soon with another edition of Coaching Questions. And until then, take care. Here's a question I get asked often. Annie, do you think your science-backed, grace-led approach to alcohol could work for other things like nicotine? People have asked me this question for years, and the answer is a resounding yes. And finally, there's a book for that. William Porter, the author of Alcohol Explained, and I have joined forces to bring you This Naked Mind Nicotine. We've combined our proven habit-breaking systems that help thousands overcome alcohol without willpower, without pain, without missing out, to help people quit smoking and vaping the same way without the pain. So start your no-nicotine journey today by pre-ordering This Naked Mind Nicotine at thisnakedmindnicotine.com. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today. Thank you.